Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Daniel, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Keith Smith of Spotrack, a great CBA expert that I've known for years through our work at, of course, Real GM. And we have a really interesting conversation. We start talking about the Magic and the Thunder, two teams that I've been thinking about a lot, and Keith has as well. And not only where they are, what's gone well for them, but where both those franchises could go moving forward. And then we transition into a conversation about the 24 offseason, how that could shape the deadline, and a lot of other really interesting threads. Episode is brought to you by FanDuel. You can go to fanduel.com slash Boston, and new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. I'll, of course, talk about that more later. But first, let's talk to Keith Smith. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I wanted to start with the team that you're that you're closest to in your neck of the woods, the Orlando Magic. And I mean, I just picked them. Nate and I did a pod of and uh, picked them as my biggest surprise team, fueled largely by their their defense. What is your read on not only their season so far, but kind of we'll get into this, but like what it means for them moving forward? Yeah, I think you know this season. Obviously, they have built on the momentum they had last year. They it, it kind of went unnoticed. They started five and twenty last year, and then they went. I believe it was twenty nine and twenty eight uh, over the final you know roughly two thirds of the season. They they or quarter three quarters of the season maybe. They they had just that nightmare start. It was just so bad. It, there were there were games where they were playing Paulo Bancaro and Franz Wagner as the two guards. Uh, on the team and uh in year two and uh as a rookie they were predictably a little over their heads at, at that role um at that point but i think that's one where hey they took their lumps they they lost a lot but a lot of experience gained and then that momentum from last year that's carried into this year and i think i, I know it's much to adam silver's chagrin he doesn't want us to focus on this overly when we discuss basketball but part of their skill set is they play really really hard every single night they they don't their effort uh doesn't wax and wane they come out they play really hard they defend and so even when their offense gets a little wonky which it still does uh quite often they are able to stay in these games and that's been a major difference for them uh this year and then going forward you know the future is bright because they've got all kinds of flexibility uh the rest of this year should continue i think to be relatively strong even if they drop off a little bit but they've got a ton of flexibility moving forward in a lot of different ways they can go so that this is i think as good as anybody's felt about this magic uh team since easily since dwight howard was here and they had made a, a couple runs uh in contention to the nba finals yeah and it's fun to see a young team that is built around defense, where that that is the centerpiece of their value. They forced the second most turnovers in the league, and they were number one until very recently Portland Portland jumped them about four or five days ago. And I firmly believe that their defense is legit. This is not shooting luck. This is not, you know, some things that they're doing that are unsustainable. And especially when you consider that as we're recording this, Wendell Carter has only played five games this year. He's played fewer than 150 minutes. And so Gogo Batadze has done really well in his stead. But we, I mean, Nate and I, and, and I mean, I think a lot of people thought of Wendell Carter as one of their more indispensable players. And to be this good without him is very, is very fortunate. And you brought up the idea that they have a lot of, a lot of resources. And that is completely fair just to kind of run people through some of it. Real, real GM, our, our mutual friends, um, their draft pick database is invaluable for things like this. Mm-hmm. And it's, and so they have, you know, not only do they have all of their own picks, first and second round, they owe no picks to anyone. 
moving forward. But they also have an extra first, probably in, I mean, in 25, can't be 100% sure that Denver's will convey, but we can be like, I don't know, 95% sure that it will. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a shock if the Nuggets were one of the five worst teams. Exactly. <laughs> be very surprised. And then they they get an extra pick in 26. We don't know whose that is, is going to be yet. So like, it's not a ton of bonus picks, but it is some. And then they have internal improvement. But what makes the Magic compelling to me and we'll talk about another team that kind of fits this, is they have a very specific kind of complicated window depending on how willing ownership is willing, depending on how willing ownership is to spend. And the reasoning for that is that eventually, and not that far away, their good young players are going to get properly paid. And mm-hmm. so if a front office is being pragmatic and being proactive, you don't want to put yourself in a place where you those you know Bancaro's next contract, whether it comes via extension or um, just restricted free agency, where that puts you at a place where you're deeply uncomfortable, where it puts you a little uncomfortable, that might actually not be the worst thing in the world because then you can um, assess at that juncture. But if it's like, oh, that puts you twenty million into the tax, well, that's probably not going to be sustainable. And it is kind of useful for that sense that he has a large cap hold; they can use that preliminarily for planning. And so for the Magic, they're not an expensive team right now. They're, you know, they're, technically speaking, they still have cap space. As we're recording this podcast, they could theoretically have real cap space next summer, depending on how a couple of things resolve. And that duality, though, because Wagner is going to get his money in 25 and then Paolo in 26, and then we'll have to see on their other young guys kind of moving forward. So they have a window to spend. They have ways that they can improve, but how... They have to be judicious with that because if they go too hog wild, then you get into the circumstance where, oh, crap, we have to pay the guys who are actually the most important on our team. Yeah, absolutely. And this is we talk about this a lot with front offices about knowing when to pull the plug and tear it down. I think the cousin to that that is you know not talked about quite as much as the and can often be even a harder thing to time out correctly is the when to go all in move because to tear it down if you tear it down you're you're basically you you are locking into that direction if you go a little too early now what you've done is we like to think you're locking into that direction but you still have the ability to maybe maneuver and go a couple things but the challenge is if you're jeff weltman and you say all right the summer of 2024 we're going to go out we're going to add one or two big name players big salaries and we're we're really pushing this thing forward and let's say it doesn't work well guess what you may not be the one who gets the chance to make the decisions on the back end right of what does that look like right because if you get it wrong you're going to have ownership saying whoa wait we spent a whole lot of money here you got it wrong we've actually seen that in orlando that's kind of what happened with rob hennigan they they had the ability to go out and go crazy they they did and it didn't work out and he was let go a year or so later so that's one of the things i think though the magic have been extremely patient throughout the course of this time i i I think if you could pour truth serum into Jeff Waltman and John Hammond, who was a big part of things initially in Orlando, they would tell you 
they really didn't want the Vucevic, Fournier, Gordon teams to make those playoffs the way they did because they, they really were looking forward to let's start over earlier. But it happened. They they did, but they didn't get seduced by, hey, cool, we were in the playoffs twice and we won a couple games off the Raptors in the box. They came back and said, eh, that's not good enough. Like, that's not where we want to be. We want to be better than that. And they did tear it down and take the team apart and go in a different direction. And now we're in the process of seeing all that come around. But to your other point is you're in a tight window here. I, I've been telling Magic fans is because a lot of them will say, why do you say flexibility versus they have? cap space and why i say flexibility is they may not have cap space part of the route to cap space means you're probably moving on from jonathan isaac you may be moving on from markel fultz and gary harris both but definitely one of the two of them so maybe mo wagner if you're gonna go that route that means you're going in a path of you're gonna have some guys that are part of what you've built right now not around anymore that's just the the way this works with this stuff so they have the flexibility to go that way if there is you know free agent x or uh you know traded player wants to trade y is available they have the ability to get in the game and try to make that happen but they don't have to they can continue to say you know we kind of like what we got and play it forward with these guys but if it keeps going the way it is with Franz Wagner, you're going to be in a spot where instead of making he makes seven million dollars next year, 25, 26, he's probably going to, I'll say conservatively, quadruple that. He's probably going to be in the 28 to 30 million dollar range. Mm-hmm. That you know maybe he's just below a max, maybe he's even a max guy. I don't know. We'll see where that goes. But you're going to be you know making four times what he makes now, and then you're then. As crazy as it sounds, because he's in year two, you're then only a year away from Paulo Bencaro uh, getting his you know big contract, and you hope at that point you would love to for him to be a max guy because that means he blossomed and and earned that level. So so you're just in the spot where you've got this kind of window where all right, if we want to load up, we got to do it now before we have to pay these guys. And I'll even add Jalen Suggs to that mix because he's been great this year. He's been great. Now the unfortunate thing is he's hurt again. He's mm-hmm. he's got an ankle injury. We don't know how long it's going to be. And what's happened with him, the story of his career has been, every time he starts putting it together and figuring it out, he gets an injury, then he comes back, and it takes him another two, three weeks to get back up to speed. Hopefully this is a minor thing. He only misses a handful of games, and he's back out there because they need him. He he has become, not only has he become, one of, in my opinion, one of the better defensive guards in the league, he is also a key component to – He's never going to be like a Tyrese Halliburton where it's like, holy cow, what a playmaker on offense. This is unbelievable. But he's just a good guy to have with Bancaro, Wagner, where they don't have that kind of traditional one playmaker. They've got a, just a whole bunch of smart ball movers, guys who can attack on a rotation, make that second pass, pick up those hockey assists. And he's a big part of that. So they they need him back. But that's then, again, another guy who will need to be paid uh, in a you know two-year window here. So I think, yeah, let's try to you know really get a time this out. Where are we? And that process probably starts to at least some extent here at the trade deadline of do we do a little bit of pre-agency and add a guy now who can help us for this playoff run and then we've got to move forward with the rest of the team but it's just such a tough needle to thread it is a tough needle thread but on the on the thread of pre-agency i mean one of the big sales pitches for the magic on that is first of all you don't have to do any recruiting like you can Mm -hmm. just i mean and the magic have been you know they've been successful and almost successful in the past with different with different free agents but part of it is also specific to 
at least one concept of their needs, which is even if you believe that Bancaro and Wagner can have large roles in a successful offense, and we know they can be a part of a successful defense, they already are. I still think you need somebody else who can be dynamic, ideally with the ball in their hands. Mm-hmm. And and whether whether it's in the starting and closing five or the t- toned down version, who shoulders some of that burden when you have one or both of Wagner and Bancaro sitting. The problem for the Magic is the 2024 free agent class is unusually weak in terms of those types of players. Like there are some good point guards, but most of them are not really filling that void. I mean, if you, maybe you could try it with somebody like Emmanuel Quickly, who's been more of a sixth man, but can be, you know, he can kind of be a hybrid guy, maybe do something there, but also he's restricted, which means Mm -hmm. that there are all sorts of other risks involved with that. And you could theoretically, you know, you could kick the tires on a bunch of older guys that are interesting, and potentially then you could solve the timing issues because you, Mike Connolly's probably not signing a four-year um, yeah. But the other part of the pitch for trading, for acquiring a player via trade, is that you can more narrowly tailor that to what your current needs are. Now, do you have to rerun in the challenge that you're negotiating with another team, and presumably it will take assets in some form, whether that's young players or picks to make it happen. If or you're taking on money, which actually it would be the dream with the magic. Like you use the financial flexibility that is built in to the CBA now, like even more than before for trade matching and for everything else. And you like say, hey, yeah, we're we're taking a good player from you, but we're also saving you ten million this year and twenty million next year. Like that that could be and so instead so because of that we're not going to give you as many picks or young dudes or whatever. So that is a potential pathway as well. The challenge is what I said before of you have to find a trade partner. You have to find that fit. So you could say, oh, yeah, it'd be great if you could have, I don't know, let's say Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah, sure. Dude, good <laughs> luck. The Pacers aren't going to trade him. Yeah, and, exactly. and then you also run into the point where if it's like more of an in-demand player, like let's say the Hawks decide to to pull the ripcord and they decide to trade Trey Young. Well, you still need to have the best offer. Like mm-hmm. you're not gonna, you're not gonna win that trade if it, you're not, you're not, you're not gonna win the bidding for that without something serious. And so, it's difficult. And the other really fascinating question with this that connects, and I don't want to dwell on this part of it yet, is that there's at least one other team, and that being the Utah Jazz, who have kind of the same challenge right now. Who they they have a lot of good players. They have some flexibility spending wise but if for them it's unless it's Keontae George they might need they might need a, a table setter and so you are competing with a couple of them the Jazz of course have a ton of picks they have spending power as well and so for Orlando part of it is the evaluation can you like who 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 is both good enough to make this difference and not bad enough at the other things to you know sabotage your defense or anything like that and can we get them at a price we're willing to pay a hundred percent agree on all that. And I would add to, are they also someone who can play and be effective off the ball? Sure. Because I don't think you want to bring in that guy because I'm with you. They need more offense creation. There's just, there are too many possessions in games, especially against good defensive teams where unless they're getting out in transition, everything just kind of bogs down. And then it's, it's, 
all right, Franz and Paulo, get us out of this. Figure it out. You know, make a play. Or occasionally that's a Cole Anthony, you know, just create something uh, out of nothing and, and he makes something happen. And I like Cole Anthony, and I think he's really found his niche now as the kind of energy scoring guard off the bench that can really, you know, drive a second unit. So for me, if if they're going to go out and get a guy like that, it needs to be somebody who can do those things, but somebody who they don't necessarily need to be, have the ball all the time. Like, like people People keep saying, um, you know, should they go all in and go get a guy like Zach Levine? And it's not totally fair because Zach Levine is a, has become a pretty good off-ball guy, too. Uh, he, I, I didn't think he was, and then I actually went and looked up the numbers. And his spot-up numbers and his catch-and-shoot numbers are actually better than I thought they were. Yeah, um, it's, so, it's a way he's improved since his Minnesota days. Yeah, definitely. So I think that's that's a good sign. Now, I think that's, to me, that's that's if you're going to go get Zach Levine, you have to be 100% certain that Zach Levine's your guy. Because now, as we talked about before, that is the we have now pulled that lever and that's it. It can't be pulled again. Like we're we're all in. Like this is our guy going forward. So I think about, you know, a guy who maybe splits the difference on that a little bit. Far more acquirable contract, acquirable because the team who has him is probably looking at saying, Do we even really want to go this direction? Is a guy like Malcolm Brogdon. I think he would be a fantastic fit in Orlando because he can do some stuff off the dribble, but he's also a guy who, all right, I'm gonna go spot up, you swing it over to me and I'm gonna make a play. And I know Magic fans, there's some, at least here locally, that are, they really kind of like Emmanuel quickly in that idea. I mean, they like the idea, let's go trade for him. So then, because we all know restricted free agency, it's it's just a tough game to win if you're trying to get a player away from another team. So that becomes a little bit of a, yeah, I don't know. I know some Magic fans have even looked and said, Oklahoma City has like a million guards. You know, what, what are they doing with everybody, right? Is there somebody we could, you know, it, 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 nobody's silly enough to suggest uh, Shea Gillis Alexander, but it's like, is there one of their guards we can, you know, grab and, and get just as a playmaker? And then it's also, there are some who are like, hey, let's just get Markel Fultz back. Like, he does that. Like, do do, do we necessarily need that? I, I think they kind of do, personal opinion. I like Markel Fultz. I just don't know that he's going to uh, give them everything they need just with the shooting challenges. But again, yeah, th- those are things that become a little bit more of a challenge. And I like that you mentioned Utah, because one of the things that I've said is to people is because, like, yeah, you know, it's kind of us in Utah going head-to-head maybe as the teams with a lot of cap space that are also – Orlando's now proven this year to be better, but Utah was kind of what Orlando was last year right now. And I said, but the one thing with Utah is they're a little bit more on the clock because the Magic's best players, they have control over with uh, Wagner and Bancaro, where Utah only has some one more year of control after this year on Laurie Markinen. And then it's he can be a free agent and do whatever he wants. So that's where where the it, it's a little harder. Maybe they're under a little bit of pressure if they assume Markinen, he's our guy. we got to build around him. And I'm not fully sold that that's you know, where the Jazz are at either. But, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting time for the Magic. Just because there are all this all, all this optionality, and even right now in this season, they if anybody comes available that they want because of what you referenced, where they have all of their own picks, 
and they have the ability to, um, you know, trade, put those in trades. And they have a ton of those mid-range contracts that you could put together in a deal and go match salary on a guy and go get almost anybody you want to get in on because they have the ability to do it. And that's that's also a bit of a rarity, too, because a lot of times very young teams, they're not sitting on contracts like that where they can throw them in or those contracts belong to guys where it's like we can't trade them. They're, they're a key foundational guy. The Magic aren't necessarily in that same spot. Correct. And another guy that I've thought about both as a potential trade target, but also he is without an extension, a 2024 free agent is Tyus Jones, mm-hmm. where Tyus Jones, it does sound like from some of the reporting that was out there with why his departure in Memphis, like he'd like to be a starter. Orlando can potentially offer that without needing to like break the bank to pay him. And they could potentially even do something maybe with a, a non-guarantee or a descending contract where if even if he wanted like four years where the fourth year doesn't put too much pressure on them, like mm-hmm. they, could, they could they could figure out something there. And there, there are a lot of other options. And, and what I like about the Magic situation is that they don't need to be committed. Necess- like they don't need to be like, oh, it's this guy or nothing. Like they can be assessing all the time and, and figuring out where they want to go. Plenty more to discuss, but first a message from FanDuel. Snap into action this season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That is $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use, wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, which I love, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Boston kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL, must be 21 or over and present in Massachusetts. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. And... That ties in really well with the next team that I want to discuss a little bit, and not as much as, as the Magic, but the Thunder, where they're in a really good place. You know, they're, they've been one of the league's best teams so far this year, though I think there's some shooting luck involved in that. Both, I mean, they're shooting the crap out of the ball, but then also they're benefiting from it on the defensive end. But one thing that's basically impossible to argue is that, argue against, is that Oklahoma City has a ton of talent. And what I like about their situation in the Magic is they don't have to do anything right now. Like, there, there is mm-hmm. no obligation. But, and they have even a more, even more ridiculously positive pick situation, they can if they want to. And like the Magic, the Thunder have the likelihood that at some point, a few years down the road, they're going to have to pay their own guys. With them, I'm thinking it's more 26 than it is 25 or 24. So you're not looking for, you know, you're not looking for guys on five-year deals or four-year deals or something like that. But what Sam Presti identifies as a need or a potential upgrade place and how they would choose to do that is absolutely fascinating. I completely agree. And and I think what's interesting with the Thunder when I look at them is I, I start to wonder 
if you made a move, how what, what are you changing about this team? Because they really play this kind of, it's now turned into almost like a five-out style with Chet in there. And then that turns into, I was saying before the Pacers kind of grew into what they've become, at least here in the early part of the season, they were like the idealized version of what the Pacers were trying to be, which was one uh, big who can step out and shoot with a whole bunch of smalls that can do a lot of stuff around him and and that's where i look at it a little bit and say okay you know where where are we going with this i think if i was if if i was in charge or asked i would say and you still have a couple holes especially in that starting group because i like josh giddy and and i'm going to take all the off-court stuff completely out of the mix here because we who knows what's happening there but with him just basketball wise there are games where teams are just they he once he drifts outside the arc he might as well go all the way to the bench and sit down because they're just not paying attention to him at all. And it becomes really kind of messy. And it feels like this year as, as uh, uh, SGA Chet and Jalen Williams, the wing one, uh, take on more, uh, especially with Williams and then Chet being there, Giddy, we're not even getting some of the same cutting and off ball stuff that he got good at ducking in on smaller players where either he was you know, getting inside for the layup himself or then making the second pass over to a guy as he drew the help and those kind of things. And then Lou Dort is one of those guys where there's a lot of, I think, in his game where it's like, oh, he's hot. We have to guard him. Or it's, yeah, he's, he can't make anything. We're going to play way off him. And that becomes a little tricky to work around, too. And I think his defense is, it's still very good, but he's not what it felt like he was a couple years ago growing into. It was like, this guy might be an all-defense level guy. I don't know that he's still there, but they're, they're making it work. They've got a lot of stuff. And then again, another team where you look at it and say, all right, they have their super-duper star in place. And Che Gildas-Alexander, that's where I believe he's at. So now it's Chet is clearly their number two. And then I think uh, Jalen Williams is their number three. And then everything else for me would be on the table as long as it made sense moving forward with, all right, this makes sense because we're I'd be doing everything I can to maximize those three players with the right kind of fits around them. And I think one of the things that gets interesting with them is, especially with Josh Giddy is, we have this sense, I think, sometimes of, well, you don't really have to make a decision till the guy meets restricted free agency. And for him, that's not next year. That's the year after. But sometimes I think you got to almost make the decision before it's extension time. Yes. Because what happens with a guy like him is I look at it and say, well, if you don't extend him, now that option is completely off the table. And if you want to trade him, you may get a team that's like, boy, I wish we would have the ability to extend him ourselves. And I think sometimes you're, move, you're better served by moving a little earlier if you decide this guy is not a rock solid 100% part of our core that we're building around. I think you can move a year early and then let the extension conversation be the other team's discussion. Let them handle that and then you move on into whatever's next. The other element of that, and we can use Giddy as the example, is that moving a little earlier, the player doesn't have that veneer of oh, this team necessarily gave up on it. Where, like, if you if you do into the fourth year or after the fourth year, you're trying to work on a trade, it's like, okay, that, well, that's... Oklahoma City basically decided it's not him. And and there are ways that you can get around that, and, and that doesn't always tamper va- tamper value down. Like, it could, be, it could be a much more complicated situation. But the primary reason why, and, and it's interesting that you went to Giddy as well, is Giddy is, to me, the player that you're thinking about is... 
he's really good at some very specific stuff. He's an unbelievable passer. He has he has a good floor sense. He's he I wouldn't say he's good at defense, but he has improved, and that's important for the Thunder. The problem is it actually is in, in his game is not the same as Ben Simmons, but the problem is the same, which mm-hmm. is if he's not in the primary action, Josh Giddy is pretty easy to defend because that, as you said, the cut game isn't as isn't as good. His his shooting has been very spotty overall. And so then it becomes, okay, well, there there are players who are like that who are incredibly good. You know, like weird until he started shooting spot of threes again. Like that was a criticism you could apply to James Harden. It is a criticism that you can apply to Luka Doncic, who Mm -hmm. is very inactive in those circumstances. No one's questioning prime Harden, Luka's value to a good team. But when you, it's fundamentally different when you have, the and so in the in the Philly case it was Joel Embiid and in this case it's Shagos Alexander who is better in those actions in the first place mm-hmm. and so then it's like oh well why are we going to prioritize this other person who clearly is not as good as our star and then and I I personally think that Jalen Williams is a better he's a better fit in the Shea minutes. And then Giddy, the other problem with him is that to me, right now, and he has lots of time to grow, he's not good enough to run the show himself in the non-shame minutes where you're like, oh, well, we have that handled. He's so good at that, and then we can make it work, and then you see where his game goes. So I'm not saying they have to trade him right now, but I do think that we're getting closer to the writing on the wall. And that also means that Giddy could potentially be more valuable significantly so to another team than the Thunder because the things that most other teams don't have Shea and so or a Shea level player and so what that means is they don't need to care that you you could that he doesn't fit as a second third option because they they're looking for a first and there are various teams in that circumstance, maybe even like Utah gets into that mix, because unlike the Magic, Utah's front, Utah's like pure threes are pretty limited, actually. Like they're playing Markin in there, but there, there are some limitations there. So like you could potentially see some different suitors. And for the Thunder, the other potential answer, and I think this is largely what Mark Dagnalt has done so far, is we often think about this in terms of the starting closing five, and, and you should, because those are the players who are in the highest leverage situations and everything else. Another way that the Thunder can improve is not spending the capital, either salary or draft picks, to get a third or fourth player who is unquestionably in their starting and closing fives. Rather, they use some of those resources to get other players who are viable possibilities and you let Dagnalt mix and match a little bit. And like that's part of what I love about the Thunder is that they have players like Kenrich Williams and Kaysen Wallace and the other Jalen Williams, the big man Jalen Williams, and my favorite of them, Isaiah Joe, who, like, Isaiah Joe probably with, I mean, he's getting better defensively, but with his limitations, you probably don't want him starting or finishing games that really matter against like high level opposition. Maybe you can, but to get there, but he can help you out a whole heck of a lot outside of that. Mm-hmm. And he's a nail shooter, everything else. And so maybe you get like a, a power forward version of what you're getting from Isaiah Joe, not in terms of role, but in terms of quality, like somebody who plays 20 to 28 minutes a game for you, who may not start, may not close, but can like give you value in those minutes. And, Maybe you say like, oh, they already have that in Kenrich. Maybe that's, you know, a role that theoretically Lou Dork could slide down into when you have him under team control until 27 because of the uh, agreement that they came to. 
So for OKC, like that is another option. The fundamental problem with that, and this is what I would, you know, if Presti was listening for my advice, which I mean, that'd be nice, (laughs) is the Thunder have moved into a larger conversation now. Like they're good enough where I don't think they're going to be like in the finals mix this year, but where you you take reasonable progression, almost all of their key guys are pre-prime. They could get there. And so then if you're talking about particularly the second round, the conference finals and the finals, having 10 good players, even if you have 10 very good players, it actually brings you a lot less because you don't have enough minutes. You the the roles, the roles kind of you tighten up the rotation, you give more. And so while you can make that theory work and we have seen teams succeed in that vein, usually the whole ends up actually being less than the sum of its parts if you're going the ensemble route rather than I'm not going to say necessarily like concentrating, but just like putting value at the top. Yeah, I I agree with everything you said there. And I think what also becomes super interesting with the Thunder is that there was a point in time and and I'll, you know, hand up and admit, I thought this too, that maybe the way forward is Chet is more of a four and you fill it the five uh, because there's a lot of, you could just go a lot of different options that way. But then now watching him play and seeing him play, you know, a quarter of a season or so, I started to realize like, yeah, a lot of what makes him really special is probably not as good if he's at the four as he is at the five. So I think you that's still a card you could play if you wanted to. So I think a lot about you know, with their roster construction. And then I think when we talk about specific players with you, know, where is this going to go with these guys? And what I think about is go back to last year, we got a snippet of what it might look like for the Thunder in the postseason. In the first playing game against the Pelicans, the Pelicans basically played everybody straight up and Josh Giddy dominated that game. He was unbelievable. Maybe one of the best games he's ever played still. He was so good. I think he had like 31 points and made most of his shots. I, I know he hit three threes in that game. Then you saw in the second playing game when they played the Timberwolves, the Timberwolves basically said, good luck. We're going to use whoever's defending you as kind of our designated helper. They're going to kind of roam around. It was often it was um, uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Anthony Edwards who were kind of just running around and, and helping um, on uh, SGA drives and uh, some of the stuff Jalen Williams was doing. And Giddy saw a lot of shots and he ended up shooting only two of 13 and he missed all all four of his three pointers in that game. And I think that is a sign of that's how you're going to get treated in a, in a playoff series. Like teams are basically going to say, Nope, just not going to guard you. And then either you're going to, you may beat us one game, maybe even two, you, you, you beat us, but you're not going to do it four times in seven games. Like it's just not going to happen. And if it does, we tip our cap and we move on and admit maybe we, we should have adjusted to it. But for the most part, it's going to be, that's going to be how it goes. And that's where I start to think about this. These are not, this is the last year for me with the thunder where you're playing the figure it out development building games. And I think that's going to result in, I mean, they're on pace to win over 50 games right now. And I don't know that that will drop a meaningful amount. Maybe they drop into like the mid to high forties, but I think they're still going to be a playoff team. So I think you may get into the playoff round and then you're looking at, um, 
you know, all right, even if you treat it as, all right, it's the first first time we've really been in the postseason with this group, and if it doesn't really go our way, that's okay because it's a learning and development thing. But then what you end up turning that into is next year that you're not at you're not at that level anymore, which is I know where you were going with this is now you're you're in a different stratosphere. Now, all of a sudden, it's, hey, we're a good team. It's time to really start winning. And a lot of times that start winning is we get to emphasize our strengths and we need to deemphasize our weaknesses. And that's where just everything I look at with this team leads me back to when it's time for that. Josh Giddy and or Lou Dort, they're just not going to be a part of it. One of the two, if not both, they're going to have to be moved on from and you're going to have to look slightly differently. And that's okay. It's just, you know, because I I just don't see what the role for them will be on a Thunder team. Dort, I can envision it a little bit more. Um, But Giddy, I just don't know what that role will be for a team that is really, really good um, because I just see I I see his weaknesses maybe more than than I see his strengths that he can add to the team. One other concept to throw into the mix and the magic and the thunder are just two but they're two strong examples of this and i've been thinking a lot about the donovan mitchell decision that the Cavs made and so cleveland acquired donovan mitchell understanding that there was no guarantee that he will sign to be there long term but he is under contract for three years you know so like they they knew that if they if they were willing to wait all the way to free agency that they would have three years of him before that and they also presumably knew that if they end up deciding they need to move on, whether that's because, you know, he wasn't the player they wanted him to be or because he indicated that he's not going to stick around beyond those three seasons, that they could pick something up on the back end. And so even if you end up, you know, there was criticism, for example, recently in baseball that the Padres got less for Juan Soto than they gave up to get him. It's like, yeah, but you also got a year and a half of this player and and they intend, you know, or, or whatever a year or whatever, you know, you get the idea. And so... Uh, those opportunities don't come along all the time, but the idea of basically like are are the Thunder and or the Magic too good to do that aggressive a roll of the dice, or do you say, hey, like this is the best player we can reasonably acquire? There is a risk here, but we can mitigate some of that risk as long as we know before they like leave in free agency and we get nothing for them. Yeah, I, I, my question will be, who is that guy? Right. Sure. That's, I, I don't know that that player has necessarily made themselves uh, known yet uh, through them or their team basically saying, yeah, we're just not good enough. You know, we're, we're going to have to, you know, pivot because this guy's, you know, either he doesn't want to be here or we're, you know, or we're, we're just not good enough to support what he is as a player. But it, it'll happen, right? We know. I mean, just that's how this goes in the NBA. Eventually that player will become known and, and there'll be somebody like, that on one of these teams it's then it's funny because to me there's always going to like i know i mentioned malcolm brogdon for the magic earlier there's always malcolm brogdon type players available every year there's the good veteran player whose contract is acquirable and we can go get him the the question is it's it feels like it's uh maybe every you know every once in a while there is the donovan mitchell type guys available but then what the thunder i think even better than the magic but both of them what their position to be able to do is which is kind of the old daryl morey thought right which he said he learned from danny Ainge is you don't have to get the guy but what you need to be able to do is be in position to make a real offer when that guy becomes available and that's what the thunder have done you know sam Presti has piled up these draft assets with the idea of all right hey when the next guy becomes available we can go after him at least and try to make it happen yes 
And also the the, the supply issue with like great players that become available is, is always going to be present. I mean, that was like, there was a point a couple of years ago, I'm like, oh man, the Grizzlies are really well positioned for Jalen Brown trade. And then guess what? Jalen Brown was never available. And and now he's on this long-term contract with the Celtics and everything else. They ended up getting a Celtic. It just wasn't that one. And it's, you know, it, it, honestly, to a certain extent right now, because there isn't anybody where it seems like clearly like going to happen at some point. But like one guy that I, I, I've thought about as I like click through rosters is maybe at some point or roughly maybe a year from now, Jaron Jackson, who would be a fascinating mm. fit on the Thunder. Like you think about like him and Chet together and the idea yeah. that the idea that they could play together and then you fill your center position all the time with players who can really space the floor and have more defensive chops than Jalen Williams does. That would be compelling. And like he'd be somebody who could fit in there. But I mean, Memphis, they've been terrible this year, but they've been a really good team the last couple of years. We have gotten no public indications that Jackson wants out or anything like that. And you can play that speculation game with, you know, roughly a half dozen guys. But it is more likely to be that sub superstar group, like very valuable players, but not the like cream of the crop. You know, you can't play the like, what about Shea Gildas Alexander game yet unless you hear <laughs> unless you hear something there. And I don't expect to at least anytime soon. And it's it's also a weird dynamic like for for some of these teams in terms of like well what you need versus what is available the other paths like part of the reason I was bringing up for the magic of like going after a guard is the the 2024 free agent class is kind of weak on guys that would fit fit the bill of what they need and for the thunder it's harder for them to clear cap space maybe there would be a pathway to doing certain other things and the optionality and like that's part of the beauty of cap space. Like I, I brought this up when I, I wrote a piece on the the Sixers and like the, the, who another team that could choose to do cap space or not is that cap space doesn't have to be used to sign a free agent. It yeah. can be, but it can also be to facilitate it to facilitate a trade. You can do a lot of other things with it, and so the decision that in particular those three teams, but there are others who fit who fit various parts of it have to weigh and this is why i think philly's not going to make a trade during this year for for a guy to functionally replace that cap space is you need to be really confident in their case probably more so than the thunders that the player you're acquiring now in pre-agency is better than the guy that you could get an actual free agency and so for them i mean you can't be 100 percent sure that anyone's going especially because anyone we're talking about they're under contract with another team right now many of them have never chosen a different destination but let's say whoever daryl morey thinks of as number one in that class for the Sixers' specific interest that could be og and anobi i mean i don't think it's Kawhi leonard but it could be or like i don't know maybe they're maybe they're comfortable with the miles bridges stuff maybe it's pascal siakam you know there are a lot of different a lot of different ways to do it fits and everything like that but what we can say is that it does put a pretty high bar out there for Philly to theoretically trade for somebody, except that you can balance it the other way with, but you get this guy for the playoff run this year as well. And so that is, to me, a big part of the sales pitch for teams being proactive in terms of like, the, and this could be true, you could add in the Pelicans and a number of others, is like, if this year matters for you organizationally, so the Utah Jazz probably not going to, or like a couple other teams, then 
this year, like getting that's not just like a throwaway. Like you could get that player, maybe you can help convince them to stay or something else. Yeah, I, I think it that's the part. And I, I I like that you referenced the the whole uh, Juan Soto trade with the Padres of you know, you you not only did you make a move, but you it's not just about yeah, you ended up selling them as a loss in theory, right? And what you traded for and traded and got in trade. But to your point is you also got those the the time you had him and part of that led you to to a you know to a uh, nlcs and and you're almost there and i think that's something that you know if you're philly you need to look at a little bit and say are we in a spot where wow you know joel Embiid is awesome tyrese maxley has you know he's blown up he is now a full-blown you know all-star maybe even all nba level guy and if we look at it and say all right what we need is one more guy now we're in the mix with boston and milwaukee and we're we're not a tier behind we're we're on on their level, then I think you do go make that move. But if, but I think Daryl Morey is one of the kind of rare GMs who will be extremely honest about saying we're not there yet. We're just not there yet. I don't feel like you know that that guy. Whether that's I, I we always keep coming back to Zach Levine because he's kind of the only star level guy who's been who we kind of know is out there, is available. Yeah. So that becomes like a little bit of the challenge is, is Zach Levine that guy? And if you don't feel like he is, then all right. But, you know, who knows who else? You know, to, it's as we record this, you know, two months from the trade deadline, you know, a lot will change. I, I'm also glad you touched on the idea of cap space because I think there's a sense of you either have to use it on free agents or you have to use it to eat contracts. And the reality is it's, it maybe hasn't worked out exactly the way they hoped. And there was some level of eating the contract that went on. But Utah used cap space to go get John Collins. They used it to get a good player who that's how they used, you know, 25 million plus of their cap space. They said, let's go get, you know, John Collins right now who, you know, has plugged in. And he's been one of the only guys I think that's probably started just about every game uh, for that team because of various injuries and the like that have happened. So I think we're in a spot where that's that's a lesson I'm kind of going to be this summer just because of the the small handful of teams that are positioned to have cap space that aren't Philly that because because they're not title contenders, but they're maybe a tier or two down or they're in some cases much further away. But I'm going to continue to continue to remind people of, hey, it doesn't have to be used that way. It can be used to go get a guy in trade. And in a lot of ways, it makes the trade far easier to happen because you're not in a spot where it's like, all right, we need you to take back, you know, these two players that I know you don't really want, but or we get to find a third team or whatever. You're in a spot where it's, hey, we can just take the guy. We can just make it happen and you don't need to take you can just take draft picks back from us or whatever it may be. And that that's you know often a way that you can kind of grease the wheels in a trade just because it's it's easier for the other team because now they're selling their owner on, hey, we traded a good player, but not only did we get draft picks, but we got complete salary relief. With it, we're not even sitting where, like in Philly right now, it's hey, we traded James Harden and we got some picks, but yeah, we had to take on Marcus Morris and Nick Batum and Robert Covington and and all that. So we still have to pay a bunch of guys the rest of this year. You can really sell it as hey, we're complete salary relief right now in the moment. 
if it's a trade like that. And that's that's important. And that's where, you know, again, teams like Orlando, uh, Utah, probably maybe we'll see. We'll see where Washington goes. Detroit's been, you know, really a mess with everything they've kind of done, in my opinion, over the last couple of years with the way they built the rosters. But those teams are going to be a little bit positioned. The one thing Philly has going for them is, hey, we've got cap space and we have Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey and nobody else can even come close to matching that as far as those teams that are cap space. So it's going to be an interesting summer in that respect, because even with a, let's say, below average free agent class, because I think most of the guys who can be free agents that are really good are probably just going to stay right where they are. Sure. Um, I, I can't see most of them moving on. So that turns into a conversation of, all right, well then how do we get the guy? And then leading kind of circling back around, I guess it becomes, when do we go get the guy? Should we, you know, like if you really love OG and Anobi and you think we can keep him, well then by all means go get him right now. If, if Toronto decides to go that direction, which who knows what they'll do. But if, if you, you want to go get him, go get him right now. Cause they'll help you the rest of this year. And, then you get them so you get the bonus of this year and then you get them you know moving forward and that that can be you know sometimes that 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 for me would be almost a way to say all right we got to throw that one extra thing into a trade all right well i'm willing to do it because i get them for the last you know four to six months whatever of this season i get to have him whenever you make the trade all the way through and i think that's that often gets overlooked sometimes in some of these trade discussions it does, and it also is a way that these players can wield some real power if they want to. It's not a power that they have to, but as Ananobi or Siakam or whoever else, a, a pending DeMar DeRozan, a pending free agent who could potentially be traded, is you can significantly affect what other teams are willing to give up to get you by your indications of what you're willing to do, what you're intending to do. And that can be taking teams out. So like if you don't want to go to Team X, then you can say, I don't plan on re-signing with you. I I can't say don't trade for me because that's, you know, that technically you don't have the, you don't have veto veto power. (laughs) But you can say like you're getting less out of this trade. And what that does is it lowers the, it lowers the assets that they're willing to include. And theoretically, by lowering their asset willingness, you put make their offer weaker than a place you actually do want to go. And potentially, if you say like, hey, if you trade for me, I fully intend you can't do a binding thing that violates a whole bunch of rules, but you can make a general understanding, then that can actually increase what a team is potentially willing to give up for you. Now, we don't always see that, but it can't. And so thus... Maybe Team Y is willing to give up more for DeMar DeRozan than Team X because they can, they're can they essentially getting him for longer than, than, than Team X was. And so it, it, can I say one quick thing? Sure. I, I think the other thing, too, is there is this sense of, it, it, it seems to only exist in the NBA because the NFL trade deadline is a whole other thing that doesn't <laughs> really matter this way. In the baseball trade deadline, I never hear this you know, term used, but in the NBA, we hear it all the time from people of, you can't do that for a rental. Well, for some teams, a rental is 100% okay. Yes. You know, if, if, if you're on the cusp of competing for a title, go get a rental and go win that title. You know, I'm not not to be Mr. Cliche here, but flags fly forever. Like, like you win a title, you almost couldn't have made a wrong move. 
you know, it, it, it almost doesn't matter what you did to go get the guy. He, he, and, and you're not, nobody's dumb enough to give, all right, here's four first round picks and swaps for, you know, a guy who's going to walk out the door, you know, three months later in free agency. But in reality, these teams, they're, you, you may, even if you give up one extra thing in a trade, you give up one more pick or a protected pick or a young player you would have rather have kept. But if you win a title or you, you put yourself in the mix to win one, that's a win. You know, you, you did what you should do at the moment. And, but yet still, like I hear this cause you, as you know, I cover the Celtics for years, basically through this entire run up until this year when I stepped away to do other things. All I heard from people was, well, I don't want to trade for that guy because he's a rental. Who cares? You're trying to win a championship. Go get him now. And then you know what? Maybe if you win, the guy sticks around, you know, and if you don't, you don't. And, you know, you, you gave it your best shot. But that's that's something that I think gets for whatever reason in the NBA, it becomes almost a negative of, well, if the guy's not already, you know, send signals of I'm going to extend and I'll, I'll be there, I'm going to resign or whatever, then you've already lost the trade. And that's just a mindset I've just never really understood. Like you said, only really seems to exist in, in the NBA because in baseball, another sport I follow quite closely, teams pick up rentals all the time to try to make playoff runs and nobody really bats an eye at it because it's there. Now it's different because they're not giving up draft picks. They're giving up prospects who are in some cases three, four years away from ever being known. So that's a whole other thing, but nobody bats an eye at that where in in the NBA, it's almost considered a negative thing to trade for a rental when sometimes it's the exact right move. It can be. And there's also the possibility that it kind of sets it sets the table right for you, allows you to, to evaluate your own players. And you never know what can happen beyond that point. So maybe that maybe that player stays. And then the other part that's so funny, and I think this is just how people tolerate risk, is we also have a much clearer idea now that nothing is forever in the NBA. So just because you trade for a player who's under contract, there is no guarantee that that player will hold his value or want to be there long term. And so mm-hmm. you're there's a certainty, there's a false certainty one way, and there's a overstated risk the other. Now that isn't to say that every every team aspiring team should trade the farm for a pending pending free agent. And I'll I'll say the extreme just as a reminder of where this can go is like Kawhi where, I mean, I don't, I don't even, even if you told Masai Ujiri every single thing that was going to happen, I mean, he might say, Oh, uh, maybe I should have moved on faster that off season, but they would do it. Like no, no hesitation. They would do it, especially because the asset price they gave the Spurs was pretty weak in my opinion, but that's, but, but it's the flags fly forever. And yeah, you have the disappointment, the awkwardness of him leaving after they win title, but they also won a title. And they will have that. They will have that forever. And let, let me ask you a question because I'm curious to get your thought on this. Do you think with the change? So the reality is, a lot of the teams that are contenders are tax apron teams. Sure. In this year, new new world we're living in. The the I, I call them the Kevin Love buyout guys who made you know thirty million dollars take a buyout and go to the Miami Heat. That can't happen this year. Those teams are not in position to be able to add a guy like that. I wonder, do you think that changes the mindset of teams like Boston, Milwaukee, Golden State, Phoenix, that are apron teams? Is there a change in mindset of, and I know they're not all super well positioned to trade for somebody, but if they were, I'll trade for the rental because there is no chance 
I can get anybody who will do what they can do on the bio market because it's just it's it's not possible anymore. I can't get guys who make more than twelve point four million, the equivalent of the the uh, non tax MLE. Do you think that's going to change strategy for those teams in any kind of meaningful way? I think it could potentially in a couple, um, but I think the bigger one isn't necessarily for trades. I think it's for how you how you approach your twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth, and fifteenth roster mm-hmm. spots. Because you lose some of the upside. And so you still have all the financial benefits. I mean, we already saw the Warriors do this dance a little bit. And the Clippers have done it too. Partially due to circumstance for the Clippers. Of being at like the roster minimum. And then, you know, filling it with spot guys and everything else. And the Warriors eventually signed uh, Santos from Brazil. When their second round picks from from 22. Um, And the Clippers just kind of need to figure it out. Some of that was done with Daniel Tice. who, Mm -hmm. who, Who then became available and everything else. But so, and, and Josh Primo. But so, I th- I'm not surprised that the Clippers and I think the Celtics are pretty close to to their roster maximum as well. Um, and we also saw, remember the uh, yeah, they're one short yep. with the um, the second round pick rule changing. Is I think the calculus for Lawrence Frank, for Mike Dunleavy, for Brad Stevens to an extent is like, oh, it's now the you the upside of those roster slots is now much lower because the play the the, the universe of players that are theoretically acquirable f- for the minimum has dropped and the number mm-hmm. of high quality players has dropped significantly, so you don't have that necessarily on the table at all. And you have this way to pay young guys who maybe you're interested in not that much money and you could save some tax and you could there's an easy way to sell ownership on that. And like, I mean, the bucks have been super aggressive with this. Mm-hmm. And and then you so but they're like, oh, well, what what if this player becomes available? It's like, well, then we couldn't get them in the first place. Like, you know, you're not going to be able to you're not going to be able to make that work. And so I I wonder about that. And then the related thing that I'm really interested in is Inevitably, there will be good players making a lot of money in situations where they do not intend where they do not intend to resign. And do those players and they're more accurately the representation get a little bit more aggressive from the player side to say, find a home for me? Because before, if you, you know, there could be an understanding that if you made it past the deadline, oh, I'll just get bought out and, and you know, I'll take maybe I'll take three million, three million less and I'll get most of that on the back end. You could still do that. You know, the finances aren't different, but the, the some of the teams are closed off to you. Mm-hmm. So would a, you know, I don't have a great example of a player now because in part other than like the Spurs, we don't necessarily know who's going to be. Well, actually, the the most interesting team with this arguably is the Pistons, but we don't know exactly how bad they're going to be now that they have some of their dudes back. Is do they like we talked about pre agency? Is it like a pre buyout period where you, yeah. where those guys get a little bit more desperate and where like you're not currying agent favors by buying guys out, but by trading them? I think it's very possible, and it's something that adds a very different wrinkle to the trade than line, particularly this year. Because the second apron restrictions haven't kicked in in full. So maybe you could, I I mean, most of those teams seem pretty, pretty locked in right now, but between, between that and the idea of like, okay, well, I'm not going to be as in demand. I can't get to these sorts of places. How do I want to, how do I want to approach this? Like we're going to see a number of different players make that decision and we're probably going to see a number of players regret not being aggressive enough. 
I wonder about that with just the guy who keeps coming to mind for me is Gordon Hayward. Mm. He makes $31.5 million this year. He's having a pretty good year. Now, we all know it's probably a matter of time before he misses 20 games or so, but it is what it is with that. So, But he's having a good year. Could help a number of teams. But the teams that could really use him, Milwaukee, Boston, Phoenix, they can't get him because there's no real way to trade for him at that number for those teams. And if he gets bought out, he can't he can't join one of those teams. So to your point, his universe of teams he could join after a buyout becomes not maybe not as appealing, right? Because it's it's the second tier contender teams for the most part. So I wonder, does two twofold, does it turn into, you know what, I'm just not gonna I'm not even gonna look for a buyout. I'll just play it out and keep all my money and I'll hit free agency next year like I'm going to anyway. Or does that turn into, hey, let's try to find a trade for a team that can conceivably trade for me that makes sense because a buyout's not going to be a thing, yo, there. So that he's somebody who jumps to mind. The other thing that I have really started to wonder, and we didn't see too much of this in this first year. I, I've been kind of calling this year is the kind of get your house in order year, um, which the Warriors did to some extent. And then Phoenix and Boston and Milwaukee said, hey, we can make all these trades now and only make these trades now right. for one more year. So let's do it. Um, so they kind of went the other way. They, they just made their houses more messy, I guess. But I wonder when we get into free agency and a guy like I think about with this is like someone like Drew Holiday. Boston's going to be a second apron team. We know next year that's just going to be where they're at because of Tatum, Brown and Porzingis and then some of their other guys. But Drew Holiday. He's he's got a thirty four thirty nine point four million dollar player option that he let's say he opts out of if for no other reason just I want to add a few more years. Does Drew Holiday in the Celtics agree? Hey, your your fa- a fair number for you is it's forty million, and I'm just picking a number out of the air, but it's forty million. Do they say we're going to give you forty five just to plus up your value in a potential trade where we can't? trade in aggregate salaries together next year when we're over the second apron so we're just going to add a little bit extra money on to your deal now just because it's a little bit more money than we have in a trade that's probably an extreme example because that contract is so high but if you thought about like a mid-range guy like luke Cornett, the celtics will have full bird rights on him do the celtics say you know what hey yeah you're probably a minimum guy but you know what? We're going to give you seven, eight million dollars just because now you're seven or eight million dollars of trade uh, you know, value that we could put into a deal that we wouldn't have any other way. It's I know you like to refer to it as almost like a walking trade exception. I wonder if for second aprons, don't start to get into it. It's like, ah, I get it. Now I get why they kind of gave that guy the contract they gave him. I wonder if that's going to be a strategy. We see it's going to take the right ownership group because you're going to have to sell him on. We will trade him, you know, for something. You know, we're not just going to add this to the tax bill. So that's going to be another, you know, fun component to monitor. But I think we're going to see some weird stuff like that happen over the next couple of years, just because I think that's where this is all headed. I love it. And the idea that they can't aggregate potentially it does it does increase the utility of doing it with somebody who's higher end as opposed to you mm-hmm. know like your idea with Drew Holiday to me is really compelling because like the like the I used to call it the human trade exception but the walking yeah. trade exception seems more 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 <laughs> more palatable let's put it that sure. way and, Either way, and, it's not and I think, very nice but then I don't yeah. feel too bad when the guy's cashing multi-million yeah, dollars it, exactly good and for so, him anyway yeah it, it can work out it, it's a it's a victimless crime and so I, I think that 
it could open some doors. And like we, I, I had thought about the possibility that it wasn't through a signing, but that the Clippers were going to pick up Eric Gordon's non-guarantee uh-huh. just to add some flexibility. Balmer ended up not doing that. I think Balmer might end up regret regretting not doing that. But that's a that's a separate conversation for a separate day. So yeah, that is it is a very notable idea. And the one thing I want to the other thing I want to end with, and this ties in with the idea that we we're talking about before with and because you said saying this with Gordon Hayward reminded me of it, which is the idea of like players trying to kind of make their way to somewhere earlier rather than later because later is going to be harder. Is Preliminarily, 2024, unless unless you think you're getting that sixer spot, it's not the greatest year, not only for to procure free agents, but for free agents to procure contracts. And so pre-agency doesn't have to just be about teams getting players. It can also be about players finding teams. And um, John Hollinger talks about this in the bird rights trap. And there are a lot of other ideas on this concept. And so one of the key questions that I, you know, especially if I were an agent that I'll be talking about with players is, do you want to start the 2024 offseason somewhere other than where you are now? And really, a core question could be just how interested are you in resigning where you are? Because if you're not interested at all, or you're minimally interested, then you better start moving, you better start kind of getting things together sooner rather than later, because if you do that a week before the trade deadline, it might not be possible for it to happen. And then the other pathway with that, and I think we can tentatively call this the Kuzma pathway, is I think that there will be a chance for a couple of these different situations where Bird Wright's team and player in question sign a contract where both sides intend that the player will not finish that contract with that team. And that could be really fascinating yeah. because you're, you, as from the player perspective, you're trying to secure the money and everything else. And from a team perspective, you're negotiating hard in part because you still want to maximize the asset and, you know, you save money in your books and all that type of stuff. And so, because I don't think that's something that players as good as like Pascal Siakam worry about because it's like, okay, well, I'll be able to find a home. Like the, the earth moves for really good players, but if you're a couple tiers down from that, maybe you're solid starter, valued backup kind of level, and you don't want to be where you are. Like, I mean, the, a player who is kind of who could be the model example of this for like to tell other players would be Josh Hart. Josh Hart, by getting traded when he did, secured a much larger bag this offseason. It ended up yeah. being via by opting in an extension. That doesn't matter. Like it could it could be in whatever whatever form it takes. And so getting to a place where your bird rights matter is so valuable to players, even if you end up leaving, because one, you you you, you add a potential suitor and you add a potential uh, bidder who can drive up your market price. And so there are so many players who would fit that description of like, if you don't necessarily want to be where you are and or and or you think that team might not be as interested in you, get out. Whatever. And, and like, in some cases, it could be like almost anywhere is better. And in some cases, it could be like only a few places are better and but having those conversations having those questions answered is extremely 
valuable this year, maybe more so than any other in recent history. Completely agree. And I think the two guys who just both pending free agents after this year that come to mind, two guys who we've heard they wanted to extend and then it didn't happen, that just right there scream this to me are Buddy Heald and Gary Trent Jr. Mm. Buddy Heald, we already know. I already, you know, there was a trade request made there. I'm not going to say demand, but hey, we couldn't get to, get to an extension, so let's look at it. Now, I give Buddy Heald all the credit in the world because almost every other time we hear about a player wants a trade and they don't get traded, it goes sideways and it gets really ugly. He's just played. He's just kind of played well, thing, yeah. right? And playing well for a team that's playing well. And it almost makes me wonder does that start to change everybody's mind a little and say, hey, you know what? We'll come up a little on our offer because you're playing well and you're doing good. And maybe he says, you know what? I, I really do want to be here, but I don't know that. But what I do when I look at that, though, is those two guys, because to your point is sometimes we, we think of it so much in free agency from this team has cap space and they can go get this guy. But the thing I've learned probably more than anything talking with now with agents and players is they you have to look at it from their side, too. And what those two guys might be looking at is saying, all right, well, unless the Sixers want us or the Magic want us, it's a whole bunch of really bad teams. And do I want to go there? Or am I going to be then next year's the, the example of Dennis Schroeder where I passed on some money and then all of a sudden I looked around and it's like the carousel stopped and all that's left is the taxpayer MLE from a good team. And now I lost money and I'm going somewhere where eh, we have nothing else to spend it on. Come on in and then we'll figure it out. And maybe I don't even last the full year, much like Dennis Schroeder didn't with the Celtics. So I do wonder when you start looking at those two guys in particular, is there a spot where they could get to a point this year where it's like healed, maybe already kind of got there, but could Trent say, all right, we're going in a direction here in Toronto that, that I don't want to be a part of. They're tearing it down or, you know, or do we, or, or, or they're it? just, or they're not tearing it down, but I'm just not a part of it. Exactly. I'm not a part of it. Or, or are we talking in July, Gary Trent Jr. and OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam, we just add them to the list of guys who Toronto just it never traded and they just left. And they, they just walked away. But if I'm Trent Jr., yeah, to the point of you could be looking at and saying, hey, there's like seven, eight teams where I could help and maybe stick around after this year. Yeah, hey, maybe I want to you know try to do something like that. And and that's probably a conversation that for a lot of these guys, because to your point, yeah, Kawhi, Paul George, Siakam, Tyrese Maxey, Drew Holiday, those guys are all going to find homes. Like, and teams are going to make whatever they need to make happen to get those guys. That That's, you know, a different level of thing. But, yeah, the, that next tier down of guys, that's a, you know, that group is a pretty large group group and i now more than anything know money is gonna run out yeah for all of those guys there will not be enough money for every single one of those guys because if you look at the pending list right now a whole bunch of those guys are already playing on the minimum and they're not all going to play themselves off the minimum so that's going to be where it gets really hard uh for those teams that's where as an agent and a player you have to be really honest with saying there is probably not going to be a 20 million dollar offer for you from a team with cap space but if we get get you to the right team we may get a 20 million dollar re-signing um from that team because to your point maybe we're in the bird rights trap and we don't have any other option um and that's you know where, where it kind of goes so that's that's how free agency feels like it's starting to change because teams have gotten smarter they're no longer willing to say ah man we missed out on you know the, the three all-star players all right throw the bag at the tier two and three guys For, they just congratulations say, Chandler Parsons 
<laughs> right? Yeah, the, it does. It was kind of funny. I laughed when we started getting the reporting this week of the Knicks are again star hunting. And I'm like, well, at least I feel pretty good that this time around they're not going to miss out on LeBron and then go seven, eight players down the list and say, hey, you want a max deal? Great. Come on in. I feel a little bit better about the way they've handled their business more recently uh, than they did, you know, what was that, seven, eight years ago, whatever it was. Yeah, definitely true. Thank you so much for taking time. It's been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks again to Keith Smith for taking the time to come on. You can read his work on Track. You can also listen to him on the front office show. And so happy to have him on. You can also, of course, find him on social media. And a great conversation. I've known Keith for such a long time and worked with him, of course, for a while as well. And to get into some of that nitty gritty is something that I truly enjoy. And thinking about something that Keith is really good at is thinking about how the new CBA is going to affect the decisions that not only teams, but we ended up talking from a player perspective a fair amount. The decisions that players will make moving forward is such a fascinating, sometimes underappreciated wrinkle. And so I, I really appreciate us getting into that. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different things you could do. You can subscribe, download every episode, whatever podcast player you choose. Real GM Radio is never going to come out on a specific day of the week. My availability, guest availability. So subscribing is the way for it to pop into your podcast player whenever. If we're not in the podcast player you're choosing, please let me know. You'll find out how to do that in just a second. Because, you know, things like that can happen. I can run it up the flagpole to those who can actually fix that problem. You can also help other people find the show through ratings and reviews in the aforementioned podcast player or social media, word of mouth, whatever you really want to do there. And then the single most important thing you can do for Real GM Radio and any other podcast that has them is to check out our sponsors for this episode. That is FanDuel. FanDuel.com slash Boston. New customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. And you can also check out my other work. Nate Duncan and I are doing Dunked On and Dunked On Prime. We actually recorded part of why this got delayed. We, Keith and I recorded on Friday is because we've been doing the NBA Cup slash in-season tournament in great detail. And so I had other priorities for during this time before editing and everything like that. And then we're also doing the NBA strategy stream with League Pass, which is super fun. We're actually not going to record, do a broadcast this week, but then the following Monday, I believe that's December 18th, we're going to be doing Knicks-Lakers, which should be super fun. And then, you know, roughly once a week throughout the season. You can also check out, we do what's generally called NBA Ricochet, which is a bounce around show on playback, another partner that we're so thrilled to work with. And there's usually a schedule with that for when those are when those are going to be on the air as well, often on days that we do gamers, but it does depend. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, danielrumba at gmail.com is the way to get to me. If you take time to write it, I will take the time to read it as an absolute promise. I don't always reply, but that's why I don't promise that I promise to read it, and I do. So that is all for now. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.